we have, this is week number two of our um, Sunday teaching series in the run into Easter. We're going to be tracking through Mark's gospel. This is a biography written about Jesus in um, well within one generation of Jesus walking and talking. There's this whole community that's so excited about this, this man, this life, uh, what happened that first Easter that is all sort of exploding all over the scene. And then this guy, John Mark, guy who's right at the center of it, writes down some of Peter's core memories. Is um, what well, we have good reason to believe that was the, the way it worked out. Um, and all sorts of extraordinary stories. And this is Mark chapter 5 from verse 21. And the little subtitle in my Bible is A Dead Girl and a Sick Woman. Like the episode in Friends. The one with the dead girl and the sick woman. You know that one? That one that Peter used to tell again and again. Here it is. So, when Jesus had again crossed over by boats to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him. And while he was, they gathered around him while he was still by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus, he came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and they pressed all around him. And a woman was there who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and she'd spent all that she had. Yet instead of getting better, she'd grown worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and he asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you, you're asking, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet. And trembling with fear, she told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, and they said, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. But ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. He didn't let anyone follow him except Peter, James and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and he said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and he went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and he said to her, Talitha kum which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. 
but he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this. And he told them to give her something to eat. Amen. Rich, over to you. I am... about 18 months ago, <clears throat> I created this thing in the local neighbourhood where I live, uh, Barbourne, on the northern edge of the city. Created this thing called the Barbourne Settlers Association, and it's basically, um, it's you know, it's like a shell, an excuse for all me and the local dads to go out once a month for beer and curry to hang out, um, and where we pretend that we're doing our civic duty to make Barbourne better for the settlers of Barbourne. Um, we don't at all. Um, but somehow we need, at my stage of life, some legitimising means by which we can just do what probably we should do anyway. So once a month, it's BSA, Barborn Settlers Association. We have a logo, we have a WhatsApp group. Um, it's probably uh, not something you want to see because I'm the only Christian in the group. Actually, no, the second, there's another one now. But um, suffice to say, it's not clean. But... But they're a great bunch of friends, actually, and um, I believe in incarnating the local neighbourhood. All of that is to say that about six months ago, we had one of those conversations that I knew was going to come, where they basically, a couple of pints in, said, so, Rich, what do you really believe? <laughs> like, they'd worked out that I wasn't, like, a nominal Christian. Um, I'm an Anglican vicar, right? So, in theory, you believe it all. A whole other conversation. Uh, and uh, they said, what do you really believe? Like, do you, you don't really believe in the virgin birth, do you? I'm like, uh, yeah. <laughs> I think, oh no, this is it. This is like social death. It's happening. This is the end of the BSA. They'll never talk to me again. And I was like, yeah, I do, actually. What about the resurrection? Yeah. Do you, you don't do that funny thing where you speak in a weird language, do you? I'm like, yep. I'm thinking, I'm clocking them all up, what's next? They said, you don't believe people can be healed, do you, by just praying for them? I was like, yeah, I do. And uh, the conversation went on, and, and they didn't ridicule it, they didn't poo-poo it, but there was this kind of like, almost stunned like, oh, like we really like you, but you believe some weird stuff, man. Three months later, one of them on the way back from the pub, held back. <coughs> Little Nicodemus moment. And he just took me to one side. He said, uh, I've been going to the doctors for some tests. He said, I'm really worried. He said, would you pray for me? So we did. We stopped on the tithing and I prayed for him, which he thought was a bit weird. But I'm like... I've seen weirder stuff on the tithing. <laughs> and I've got no idea whether he got healed there and then or what happened, but the tests came back negative and something shifted in this guy ever since. Here's my suggestion to you that people will think it's weird that we believe that God can and does heal people by the power of his Holy Spirit. But I have yet to find anyone, when they're ill, refuse prayer from me for healing. Now, you, you might have, but that's never been my experience. I asked my wife, who spends most of her week with people beyond the church, she said no one's ever refused an offer of prayer for healing when they've been, she's been with someone who's ill. We'll come back to that. 
in a while. I don't know what your reaction would be, uh, or I don't know how you explain this to people if you believe it at all, but here in this church, and we'll come to this in a moment as to why, we believe that God can and does heal people by the power of his Holy Spirit. He does. I've been in the room where medically verified miracles have happened. I have prayed for people and they've been healed. I have been prayed for and I've been healed. Anyone else have been healed by God? Great. Anyone prayed for someone else and they've been healed by God? Yeah. Wonderful. Three people got healed this morning when we prayed uh, after the talk. We'll do that tonight for those of you here who need healing. There are 31 recorded individual healing miracles in the Gospels. Jesus healed the sick. It was a core part of his ministry in those three years that he walked and talked for the kingdom of God. And one of the questions I've had for a while, and I guess it undergirds or is behind some of what I'm going to say tonight, is this question, why such an emphasis on physical healing? So you go read through the Gospels, you'll see that one of the things all four writers emphasise is the physical healing miracles. There's a whole load of other things that happen. But one of the signs, miracles and wonders that's often talked about, the stories, lots of the healing stories are in at least two, sometimes three of the Gospels. Why? Why this emphasis on physical healing? That's the first question that I want us just to look at a little bit tonight. Part of it is context. We live in a world, don't we, where um, it's much easier to get medical treatment for things that aren't quite right with us. Whereas 2,000 years ago, you didn't have an NHS. You couldn't go onto Google and self-diagnose, which, by the way, is not a good idea. <laughs> the older you get, particularly, trust me. Um, one of my friends who's a doctor, has a, he's a GP, he has a mug on his surgery desk that says, I'm really glad you consulted Google before coming to see me. Um, I not, because you've come in in a complete tears because everything ends up somewhere disastrous if you Google your own symptoms. In those days, you didn't have a GP. They didn't understand what was going on in people's bodies, and so it was much harder to get the kind of treatment you needed. And so physical stuff, problems, physical issues, were a much bigger deal. There was much more of an issue. And so part of it is that Jesus is just meeting people where they're at. Whereas in our culture, we're slightly inoculated from some of the realities. We just pop a pill. Not always the right answer, but often helpful, right? And so perhaps that's a good thing because it means we're more open to all the other ways in which we recognise we're ill. We're a culture that's um, kind of obsessed with itself. You know, more people are in therapy than ever. I'm totally up for therapy. Like I've said so many times to you, haven't I? I'm in counselling. I love having counselling. It's great. But actually we have a culture that's slightly narcissistic and it's all about what's not quite right with us. That's a whole other talk for another time. So part of it's context. The second reason why I think he does this, I think why it's important, why does Jesus heal people? It's because actually uh, he's trying to do something much bigger, of which physical healing is just one expression. And we've talked about this a lot uh, before Christmas, the narrative of scripture. But actually what we need to remember is that, let's see if this works, is that all creation is sick. God has come to heal the whole of creation. 
And what we see going on, I think, in part here is that physical healing of individuals is one tangible expression to us in the moment, us and those around us and those who hear the stories, that God's actually doing a bigger work. It's a sign, literally, that points to the ultimate thing that's about to happen, or it will happen in the fullness of time, the healing of all things, the reconciliation and redemption of all things. And so physical healing in someone's body, in the here and the now, is a sign, it's a glimpse, it's a foretaste, it's a first fruit of the new creation that's coming in part now through the Holy Spirit, uh, but will come in the fullness of time. All things will be healed. God is in the business of healing everything. So I'm not just interested in physical healing, although we're going to home in on that a little bit tonight, because Jesus seemed to major on it. But actually, I believe that God is in the business of emotional healing. He's in the business of relational healing, cultural healing, racial healing, social healing, political healing. Boy, do we need that right now. Creation itself needs healing. Uh, Paul Barton, who heads up our men's ministry, he, he has a tree surgery business. But actually what he's trying to do is help uh, people with trees on their land look after their trees in such a way that the trees can do what they're meant to do within creation. What was God's original purpose for trees? Fascinating conversation, actually. And so physical healings are a sign in this life of what is going to come in the fullness of time. They point to something that's not yet here in full. Uh, and this helps us, I think, get beyond perhaps a slightly clunky explanation that we can otherwise end up with as to why God does it and how does he do it. For a while, I have to confess, when I was uh, first a Christian, I was thinking, okay, what's going on here? I've seen God heal people. And it used to seem a little bit like, you know, we've kind of, we're in real life, we're trucking along, and it's like God presses pause on reality, zaps somebody, they get healed, and then he presses play again, and off, off we go. Has it ever seemed like that to you? It's like, like so, and, and I'd say to people, what was going on there? And they're like, well... God's God occasionally wants to remind us of his power and his glory. I'm like, nah, I, don't, I never bought that. That just didn't seem to make sense to me. It grated with me. Like, let's keep going. Like, no. And I realised that this is not the case. What's actually happening here is that uh, when God heals, it's not like he's temporarily pressing pause on the natural order of things. He's restoring the natural order of things. Tim Keller puts it like this. He says, Christ's miracles were not the suspension of the natural order, but the restoration of the natural order. They were a reminder of what once was prior to the fall and a preview of what will eventually be a universal reality once again. A world of peace and justice without death, disease or conflict. Physical healings. And all the other miracles, they're signs of the restoration of all things. It's data. It's proof. It's begun. And there's lots of data. This didn't stop with the early church, as some more conservative theologians argue. It's still happening today. There are documented miracles, week in, week out, verified medically. God is doing it. Why? Because he's restoring the natural order of things. In other words, he's saying, no more sickness. 
No more death, because they were not part of God's original creation plan for his people. They're symptomatic of the fall of sin, of the brokenness of creation, of the corruption of creation because of evil and sin. God didn't design the world with cancer in it. Actually, God, as we saw last time, God never intended for us to die. Death itself is alien to the human experience in theory. We don't think of it like that because we know nothing else. But no, that's why we believe that death has lost its sting. That's why we talk about eternal life. We will die, but when we die, we become more fully alive. So God is in the business of restoring the natural order of things. Gordon Fee, who is like the preeminent theologian on the things of the Holy Spirit, he simply put it like this, and I think this is brilliant. He says, the Holy Spirit applies what Jesus achieved. On the cross, Jesus achieves victory over sin and death and releases new creation life into the brokenness of this one. And the Holy Spirit's job, who comes in his place, we looked at that, remember, is to apply that to us and to this world. And he does it in and through the church primarily, or that he'll use anybody in any which way he can. So when the Spirit heals somebody physically, or when the Spirit sets someone free emotionally, or when the Spirit does anything that he does, what he's doing is applying what Jesus has achieved for us. Because the kingdom of God is coming. It's here in part and it will be here in full. And so we press in and we believe and we trust. And actually with that framework, which hopefully you've got your head around a little bit tonight, it makes complete sense that God would heal people. And actually it makes it completely logical to me to offer to pray for someone who's sick, whether or not they know Jesus. Just as an aside, my observation is that people in the church are less likely to, off- to say yes to the offer of prayer than people outside the church. Just as an aside. And another aside that's interesting is, my, my tra- I'm not particularly anointed for healing, I have to be honest. Like, there are people I can point you to if you really want to. Somehow, some people do seem to be gifted to pray in a particular way, and God through them heals more people. I, I, I don't understand that. My track record is not brilliant, but it's better outside the church than inside the church. I don't know why. It's interesting, isn't it? The third reason I think that physical healings were such a big deal and why Jesus uses them uh, as a means by which he can communicate and demonstrate to the world what was going on in and through him and what then ultimately is now going on in and through his body, you and I, the church, is that physical healings are often, not always, but are often the gateway to experiencing other expressions of healing. Because physical illness, physical sickness, often then creates for us or brings with it a whole load of other things that we struggle with. By removing the sickness, you often help people with a whole load of other issues. Not always, but often. And with that in mind, let's go back to Mark chapter 5. Just have it open in front of you. We'll come back to Jairus and his daughter in a moment. But I'm particularly interested in this story of the bleeding woman. 
It's my favourite healing story. And remember last week we looked at, Mark's, uh, we looked at Mark and, we, and we, I suggested this is like the action thriller version of the gospel, Mark. He's like, just here's the details. Uh, sorry, no details. Here's the action. Here's what happened. Off we go. But actually here we get quite a bit of detail. Jesus and his disciples have been asked by Jairus to go and heal his daughter. Now Jairus was a synagogue ruler. In other words, he was a bigwig in the established church, effectively, that Jesus was actually having a lot to say to that they didn't like. So for him to come and ask Jesus to heal his daughter is a big deal. My guess is he did it on the sly, like he used his private email account, not his work one. Like he shouldn't really be doing that. But, but when you're a dad and your daughter's sick and she's dying, you'll do anything. I remember when our youngest, Lucia, she's five, nearly six now, but when she was about two, she had a, what's called a febrile convulsion. Does anyone know what that is? It's basically where your body overheats and you shut down. Uh, but to the untrained eye, it looks like the kids just died in front of you, right? Now, I'm in a meeting with the bishop when the phone rings several times and it's Kath. And I say, can I take this call? Because I think... You know, she's trying to get hold of me. He's like, of course. And I know the bishop well enough, it wasn't a problem. She goes, she's died. I I'm not kidding you. I literally grabbed my stuff and ran out. I said, I'll call you. Because as a dad, anything that's going to happen to one of my precious kids, I'm like, nothing matters. I jumped two red lights. I'm like, I'll ask the bishop to help me with that if I get into trouble, thinking I'm sure, sure he'll witness for me. Uh, and I got there just as the paramedics had arrived. They got there before me, and she was fine, of course. But in that moment, my world stopped. Of course she's going to ask this rabbi that's been healing people to come and heal your daughter, right? But on the way to Jairus's, they're hustling and bustling through the crowd. And I was trying to think about an analogy to help us make sense of this. But, um, so, so let's think about the Victorian fair, okay? Who knows what the Victorian fair is? Once a year, the, un the uninitiated uh, hollowed of market stalls appear on the high street for three days. I th someone described it to me re last year as the not-so-Victorian fair. Um, I think it used to be more Victorian than it is now. It's become a commercial thing, basically. Uh, and basically, the longer you've lived in Worcester, the less likely you are to go is my basic rule of thumb. Um, so people coach in from all around the country. It's mayhem out there. It takes like 25 minutes to go half a mile. So many people. That's the picture you need to have if you've ever been. Thronging crowd. Jesus is on his way. He's trying to get through the marketplace to Jairus's house. And someone touches the hem of his cloak. And he stops. And he says to his disciples, who touched me? And my guess is that their reaction is like, what do you mean, who touched you? Like, everybody's touching you. Like, we're all jostling for position. He's like, no, 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 no. Someone touched me in a particular way. How does he know? Because he felt power leave him. He involuntarily healed somebody. Because what's in him wants out. That's how it works. He can't but heal. That's the dynamic of the kingdom. And so they have this kind of moment, I'm guessing, where the crowd goes quiet. And this woman 
is initially, I'm guessing, trying not to get noticed. Because she's just been healed, but she should not have been there. Which is why it says she was fearful, she was trembling. She should not have been there. Why? She's bleeding. She has some sort of gynecological problem. She's been bleeding for 12 years. Blood in a man or a woman made you unclean. Any bleeding made you unclean, ritually unclean under the law, which meant two things. One, you can't go anywhere near anyone else. And two, uh, you cannot go anywhere near the city. You have to be outside the city walls. So here she is in the middle of the city, hanging out with people or around people. And add to that, she's on her own, so she should not be near any men. And you definitely don't go near, anywhere near a rabbi. So she's broken all the rules. She's there. Why? But it tells us she'd heard about Jesus. And it says she's exhausted every other opportunity. Every other option's gone to her. So of course she's going to break the rules. But then there's this moment where it's like, oh, nuts. I didn't expect him to notice. And he stops. And he wants to know who. Can you imagine that moment, the tension? What happens? I love this. It's just the most incredible thing. Verse 34. He said to her, so she tells him what happened. So she tells him his, her story, basically. Verse 34, he said to her, Daughter. Daughter. Not woman. Not what the heck do you think you're doing? How can you possibly think you can get away with this? Ha hang on a minute, why did you do that? No, 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 no daughter. Why? Because Jesus comes to perfectly reveal the will of the Father, the nature of the Father. This is God the Father speaking through the Son. Daughter. She needed to hear that more than she needed to be healed. Daughter, your faith has healed you. It's just this, I, I, I'm guessing he just looked her in the eye and he smiled. His daughter. It's, it's a big well done, yes. Now, the theologians I've read say, actually, it's probably better translated, um, your, your faith in me is rewarded. We'll come back to that in a moment. And notice as well that the word here for healed is actually the word saved. Your faith in me has saved you. You're saved, and we'll, we'll look at that in a moment too. But can you imagine this moment? She's terrified one moment, and the next minute she's looking into the father's eyes through the sun, and she hears this word, daughter. Because you see, physical healings, yes, they're a sign, but they're also a gateway. They're also a way in which we as individuals receive so much more. Because what happens in that moment is he doesn't just heal her, he actually does a whole load of other things for her. Which is why I think he stops and wants to know, among other reasons. Because he wants to look her in the eye and he wants everyone around to know that this woman is now no longer someone who should be excluded or feel excluded because there's nothing now that stops her from being where she was. I think he wants her to know who healed her. And why? And I think she knew by looking in his eyes. I don't think she needed him to say anything. 
I've got a growing list of people that I want to talk to when I get to heaven. Like, she's right up there. I want to know what happened next. I want to know the rest of her story. I want to know how she told that story. There's nothing else mentioned of her in the Bible, but what a, what an, that, that day, her life changed. She's gone from excluded to included. She's gone from dying to healed. She's met God. It's amazing. And you see, the thing is that physical healing was the means by which she got to embrace so much more. The word saved is deliberate there. You've been saved from your sickness. But notice crucially the word in verse 34 that follows. Go in peace. That's the word shalom. Go in the fullness of God's blessing for you. That's going to now follow the healing you've just received. But also crucially, and be freed from your suffering. <laughs> we'll come back to that as well in a moment. Are you with me so far? Mm-hmm. Good. So he does eventually get to Jairus's house. During the time that he's been stuck dealing with the woman in the marketplace, she's died. And this is a whole other sermon. But what you need to notice is that's no problem for Jesus. And there's, there's this whole fuss. He's like, no, no, no fuss, just stand up. We'll come back to that. But uh, that's important for other reasons. So I thought we could unpack all of this. We could drive, dig down into the ancient Near East stuff and we could kind of look at some of the healing stories and pick up the picture. But actually what I realised is it's a long time since I've taught this church our theology and our practice on healing. And so we're going to do that instead. And it's going to go, we're going to go fast because I want us to have time to pray for each other. But it's really important that I say a few things to us so that you're crystal clear on our theology here. You may disagree, but my guess is it'll be liberating for you because there's a whole lot of duff theology around physical healing. It's one of the things that drives me nuts, actually. It makes me angry as a pastor. So I want to look at um, three... Um, Lies about healing and three truths about healing and then answer the second question, which is, okay, so given all of this, how do we pray for the sick? How do we do this? Number one, the first lie, God sends sickness or disability for some higher purpose. It's just a load of rubbish. Like I could find some tougher language, but I'm not going to. This is the idea that sickness fundamentally is from God and it's good for you. God's trying to teach you something by giving you illness and sickness. That through embracing this, God will do stuff in you. He'll make you more whole and holy. And, and it's this idea that if we, do the, if we embrace it, if we're obedient to this, if we receive it as a gift, God will honour that and somehow do stuff in us and then through us. It's just, you find me a text in the scriptures that will under, you know, support this view. You won't find it. It's just, it, it makes me so angry because I've met so many people who've been taught this, who've been told this. You're, you're ill, it must be, must be God's will for your life. H- how can you have a scenario where Jesus is clearly hostile to any sickness? He's come to heal the world and, and then say, but the Father sent it in the first place. You've basically got the Father against the Son, right? Hello? That makes no sense. It's not from God. You know, life throws enough at us that we need to contend with. Life itself is hard. That gives us enough stuff to work with in terms of life lessons, right? Going through struggle without God adding to the list. I mean, crying out loud. But 
more to the point, like, what kind of father would give something bad to their children? Not a father worth worshipping. Francis McNutt, who, um, well-known thinker on this, says this, When we say that God sends sickness or asks us to endure it, we are creating for many people an image of God they must eventually reject. What human mother or father would choose cancer for their daughter in order to tame her pride? Those preachers and chaplains who try to comfort the sick by telling them to accept their illness as a blessing sent from God are giving an immediate consolation, but at what an ultimate cost. So there's a contradiction, I'd say, with this view in terms of who God is. But there's also category error. There's category error. And this is really interesting. But, you know, in, in our culture, modern English collapses often the concept of sickness and suffering into one. Because sickness causes suffering, right? And so we tend to just bundle it all together in our context, in our culture. But interesting, in the New Testament, there are two very distinct words for sickness and suffering. And they use very clearly and they don't mean the same thing. It's really important that the New Testament is absolutely clear that we will suffer because we live in broken creation. So we will experience suffering. We've also been told that if we dare to follow Jesus properly, we'll experience persecution and suffering. It comes with discipleship. And we're told how to handle that. But at no point does it say you can expect sickness and that somehow God sends it for your good. Actually, you'll never see that. So notice, Jesus heals the lady of her sickness and then says, now be free of your suffering. Everything that that created, all those things that came with you being sick that caused you to suffer, social isolation, the shame, the name-calling, everything that she would have experienced, 12 years of being on her own and rejected, all the suffering that came with that, he says, be freed from that now. Why? Because I've freed you from your sickness. And so it no longer has any power over you. Sickness is not inevitable. Sickness is not part of creation. Sickness is never God's idea. He's actually hostile to it. And so truth number one is that God does not cause or send sickness or disability. Okay? Amen? Just keeping you awake. Ken Blue says this, Jesus is not only dependent on the Father's will, but also faithful in accurately revealing it. It is in this light that we should view Jesus' healing miracles. They reveal something essential about the character of the Father. In particular, notice this, his consistent and unambiguous hostility towards sickness and his desire to heal it consistent and unambiguous hostility towards sickness. Jesus never once refuses anybody healing when they come to him and ask for it. He doesn't do it. He's hostile to it. He never expects repentance for sin before they get healed. It's all grace. It's all consistent with the bigger plan that he's outworking. Okay, that's line number one, truth number one. Line number two, God hasn't healed you because you don't have enough faith. Ever been taught that? Ever heard that? Uh-uh. Reject that one too. For all sorts of reasons, we haven't got loads of time, but this is sometimes called the word of faith movement, word of faith theology. It essentially teaches that health and wealth 
are freely and fully available to all Christians now, provided that you know enough and you do enough and you believe enough. So if your faith is big enough and you've dealt with all your sin and brokenness and you do enough good stuff, then God will open the treasure chest of everything that was achieved on the cross, but not unless you perform. It's called name it and claim it sometimes. The prosperity gospel comes out of this. Again, I just can't see it in the New Testament. It's just not there. It's, it's comforting and it's appealing. Uh, my major observation would be the people who uh, teach this seem to do quite well out of it. And the people who listen to it often end up worse off. The pastoral consequences of living under this theology are disastrous. And you ask Christian counsellors or Christian church leaders, they'll tell you they have sat with people who've been crippled by this teaching. It's just at odds with anything you'll find in the gospel. It's biblically and theologically flawed. If you've ever been taught that, I'm so sorry. What's underneath this is what's called over-realised eschatology, big word, which basically means some people believe that more of what we know will come tomorrow, at the end of time, is available now in the present than actually is. That somehow we can control the environment, control the circumstances, and usher in more of the future into the present, but actually you can't. Because remember, it's all heaven. That's a couple of weeks ago. I was at New Wine last year, and... um, this guy came up for healing and uh, he, uh, he had back pain from a car accident and he came up and he said, uh, uh, would you pray that God shows me any, unremain- any, any sin I've not dealt with le- yet in my life? I was like, you're here for healing? <laughs> he goes, yeah, yeah, but I haven't been healed yet. There's, uh, there's stuff I haven't found. And what was going on was he had this theology that he'd been taught. So I said, I- I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to pray that you're healed. And I left him, I prayed, I left him, and then, <laughs> this always happens to me, uh, it was the night that Alan Scott was teaching, who's very good on this, and uh, about 20 minutes later, like, this guy's being prayed for by Alan, and he's like screaming because he's being healed. I'm like, it didn't happen when I prayed. But maybe I just got rid of some duff theology and then someone else laid hands on him. But he got totally healed that night of back pain. He'd had it for 20 years. It's crippled him for 20 years, made me so angry. Truth number two is this, it's who we have faith in that is important. What's affirmed in this story we've heard, and you're going to see it in all of the ones, is when we have faith in Jesus. He's true healing. That's what's affirmed. If anyone tells you you've not been healed because you don't have enough faith or you've not dealt with your brokenness enough and you've just got to try harder, they're putting a faith burden on you that they have no right to do and you need to reject it in Jesus' name. It's that simple. And we can pray for you tonight if that's you. What's going on there is that people are trying to explain away the mystery of why you've not been healed when they've asked, you, asked God to heal you. And we'll come to that briefly in a moment, conscious of time. Number three, line number three, there's no hope. Subtle, but there, actually. More prevalent, obviously, beyond the church, but I hear it in the church. Uh, for some it's a theological conviction the Holy Spirit doesn't do that anymore so if medicine doesn't do it well hang on tight till you die great I want to come to your church Uh, for others I shouldn't have said that forgive me for others it's a deep sense that God wouldn't bother with them 
Like, yeah, he might heal them because they're great and they lead a small group and look at them, they're amazing, but me, no, I'm just like, just making up the numbers in the back. It's not true. That, that woman in the marketplace, she, she probably had a bit of that going on, but she didn't let it stop her. She touched the hem of his cloak in faith. And actually, for many, uh, it's because they only believe medicine can do it. I'm, one of my friends said, my only hope is medicine. He's got cancer and he's dying. I said to him the other day, I said, no, it's not. Can I pray for you? He's like, yeah, sure. I don't think he expected anything to happen, but he let me pray for him. Truth number three, and we'll wrap this up in a moment, is there is an ultimate hope, and that ultimately has to shape our practice when it comes to this. So, three things, real quick, in terms of what it means for us. How do we go about living with this and actually being people who have enough faith uh, or the kind of faith we need i should say get my language right to actually believe that uh, this stuff happens number one we need to embrace the tension the only way we make sense of our experience that god sometimes heals and sometimes doesn't is to embrace the tension okay the tension between what we believe and what we experience I believe this, I don't experience this, there's a disconnect, there's a tension. I can either go, well, my experience must be better, is right, and therefore I'm going to ditch what I believe, or I'm going to say, I still believe this, so I'm going to ask for my experience to change, and I'm going to live in the tension that these things don't seem to reconcile themselves. That's what we have to do, and actually that's the Christian life in a whole lot of other ways, embracing tension. Theologians talk about the now but not yet of the kingdom. It's here now, in part but not in full. There'll come a day when it's here in full. And so what we have to do is pray with that in mind. We see signs of it now, but not enough. And so we have to say, God, I'm going to pray that my friend or this person or myself or those I love, they would experience in the now something of the not yet. They'd experience today what you've guaranteed us for the ultimate tomorrow. May something of the present invade the, the, uh, the future, invade the present. I'm going to pray for that. But if it doesn't happen, I'm going to live with the tension of that. That God can heal, God does heal, but he doesn't always heal. Uh, it's a tension, and I've just got to embrace it. Because the minute you try to deal with the tension, you explain away the mystery, and that's what it is, of why God doesn't always do what he sometimes does. So the answer to why doesn't God heal everybody is simply, I don't know. That's the answer. Any other answer is dangerous. Because you're explaining away mystery. And that's what it is. It's mystery. Okay. Number two. Uh, we'll skip that. Number two. You have to, we have to trade in hope. Central to the Christian faith is hope. It's not a naive hope based on wishful thinking or a denial of reality or some sort of creative reinterpretation of the facts. It's founded on the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the promise of a creation fully healed in the fullness of time. It's in our liturgy, isn't it? Christ, is, Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. And on that day, we will all be healed. Because death is the ultimate healing. But we ask today for what we know we're going to get tomorrow. But we're sure and certain of what we hope for. So much so that we'll say, God, it's never been your will that we, sit, we have sickness and die. 
And you seem to uh, use opportunities to create signs in this life of the promise of the future one. May we have today what you've guaranteed us tomorrow. That's the prayer of faith. And when it happens, we rejoice and we give glory and honour to God. And when it doesn't, we say, I don't know why, but I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to keep praying. That's it, really. Are we trading in hope? But also living in reality? So here's what I say to people. Can I pray for you? You're sick, can I pray for you? Because I believe God can heal you and God may heal you. He does heal. I'm going to ask that he does it. But if he doesn't, well, I don't know what's going to happen. In the meantime, go to the doctor. <laughs> like, because God uses medicine too, to heal people. And often it's a combination of the two, let's be honest. We don't always know what's going on. Like, so much of the inner healing I've experienced has not just been because I've sat in my room and asked the Holy Spirit to do something in me. It's because I've gone and seen somebody who's skilled and crafted, uh, uh, skilled and gifted at, at kind of working with the Spirit to lead me into freedom. It's medicine. But, but I'm not just going to go, well, <laughs> do you know what? I've been a Christian 18 years now. I've seen four people healed. Forget it. Just go to the doctor. <laughs> I want to trade in hope. Owen's T-shirt says, we will be the hopeful. I've got to trade in hope. But exercise wisdom. Nearly done. You okay? You with me so far? Good. So finally, <laughs> dead easy. We've got to pray. We've actually got to do it. The last time one of your friends or family members said they were ill, what did you do? I mean, hopefully you listened and asked questions, but hopefully at some point you said, can, can I pray for you? Or, or did you just say, well, what do the doctors think? What's the prognosis? We've got to be bold. We've got nothing to lose. Jesus healed the sick because it was the will of God. He prayed with authority and in the power of the Spirit. And notice this, and this is what we'll close with. And then we're going to pray. As you go, this is what he's saying to his disciples, as you go, preach this message, the kingdom of heaven is near. We've looked at that. That was last week. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. How's that going? Cleanse those who have leprosy, etc. But notice, heal the sick. Now, of course, we don't heal the sick in our own power. We heal the sick when we pray in the name of Jesus because we've been given the same authority he had. And we pray in the power of the Holy Spirit because it's the power of the Spirit through us. It's in us and it wants out, just like it was in Jesus in the marketplace. And so we, we just keep it real simple. We lay hands on someone and we say, because that's a sign of God's authority touching them. That's why we do that. And we say, be healed in the name of Jesus. Come Holy Spirit. And then we wait. And sometimes God heals people straight away. Sometimes you have to do that every day for 20 years. Sometimes it never happens. All he's asking us to do is try. Just to try. And to try again. And to try again. And to try again. Because we love people. And because we have hope. And because we believe.
It's not complicated. It's really beautifully simple. We have what some, a friend of mine says is a no credit, no blame ministry. We take none of the credit when God does it. And we take none of the blame if he doesn't. We simply say, I don't know why he didn't do that. Go to the doctor and I'll keep praying. So, are you up for that? Okay, here's what I'd love you to do. Stretch out your hand. If you're up for being part of this right now, stretch out your hand. You don't have to. Okay, you're on the ministry team. That's how it works, because you can move your hands. That's all you have to be able to do. Uh, well, it's the second thing. You have to be able to say, be healed in Jesus' name. Okay, uh, I'm slightly jesting with you. Uh, can you stand? You don't have to do this. Some of you may not want to. But if you are here tonight and there's something wrong with your body, can you stand? You don't, you don't, have, to, you don't have to feel awkward. But I'd love us to pray for you. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Right. What we need to do in twos or threes is find someone that has stood. And my suggestion is boys, you find a boy, girls, you find a girl. Let's keep it simple. All right? It's just a bit less awkward when you're laying hands on certain body parts. All right? Uh, not that I'm suggesting you do that, but you know what I mean. You know, I'm just trying to suggest we respect one another. So, and here's what you need to do. So twos or threes, find someone to go and pray with. If you want to do this, you don't have to, you can watch. Jump to your feet, everyone else. Find someone who stood up. Uh, twos or threes, girls on girls, boys on boys. And here's the question you ask them. What would you like Jesus to do? Notice that's the question he asks people in the Gospels. What would you like me to do? What would they like Jesus to do? Because it's Jesus that heals. Just find out what he wants them to do. You don't need a long medical history. This is not an opportunity to tell them about. It started in 1564 and what's the problem? What's the problem? Find out what the problem is and say, okay, shall we pray? And when you're ready, lay hands and say, be healed in Jesus' name. Come, Holy Spirit, pour out your spirit upon them. Something like that. And then we wait. We don't stop. You might want to pray quietly in tongues if you do that. You might just want to um, repeat the same prayer a few times. We just wait. It might be appropriate if someone's, for example, saying that their knee hurts, put your hand on their knee. It'll depend on what they asked prayer for. So what we're doing first is we're commanding sickness to leave someone's body in the name of Jesus. Because that's not what God has for this person. So be healed in Jesus' name. Be healed in Jesus' name. Pour out your spirit, God. Pour out your spirit upon them now. Now, if you're being prayed for, and you can sense that God's touching you in any way, sometimes when we pray for, the, uh, for healing, people feel a heat on the part of their body that's not right, sometimes, not always. Sometimes you can feel God touching you. Sometimes pain goes away. 
if that's happened straight away. Sometimes it lessens. If that's happening for you, just share that with the people that are praying for you to encourage them. Sometimes it's in stages. God heals in stages. So there's a bit and then we go for a bit more and we go for a bit more. Thank you, God. And I found myself then praying what Jesus says to the woman. I pray for people. I say, may you know the peace of God. And may you be freed from all suffering. May you know the peace of God and be freed from all suffering. Okay. So if you're being prayed for, keep receiving. But it, it, one of the things it's helpful to do is it's not always possible, but it depends what the issue is. But if, if there's something you're able to do to test whether or not God's done anything, uh, for example, if you've got a sore knee like I often have, I can tell uh, if God's healed it because the pain's gone. So this morning, one of the people we prayed for had sciatica pain. She'd had it all all of the last three weeks she was in pain all the way through the sermon when she stood up to be prayed for and someone laid hands and all the pain went straight away she just felt it disappear someone came in this morning with migraines i talked about migraines i told a story this morning about migraines as i told that story during the sermon her migraine left she just went in her own heart she said god heal me of my migraine no one even touched her so if you've been prayed for and you're able to somehow test whether or not you've been healed, have a go. Depends what it is. And we don't hype it up. If nothing's changed, nothing's changed. <laughs> but in three cases this morning, it did. Three out of a hundred, whatever it was. So I'll take that. Does anyone now want to... You don't have to, but does anyone now want to say whether, you know, if, if God has in some way met with them or they feel somehow there's an improvement. Just put your hand up. You don't have to if it hasn't. I'm not. Okay. Let's, uh, we're going to um, keep praying for these guys if they want to. Um, I'm going to otherwise formally say we're done. We're finished. But if you'd like to be prayed for for something else, if there's some kind of suffering going on for you, maybe it's you'd like some prayer for anxiety or for stress at work or anything that you're finding is a struggle for you, here's what I'd love you to do. I'd love you to find someone who's next to you already and say, hey, while you're here, can you pray for me? I don't need, any, I don't need physical healing, but actually this is on my mind. Or I'm worried about my kids. Or I've got this going on because remember Jesus is wanting us to experience freedom from suffering as well as sickness so let's do that now if that's you grab someone because we can all do this if that's not you then feel free to get some coffee slip away chat to someone hang out and thank you for being patient and God bless you